on this episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Colleen admits she doesn't know anything. We find out how many Gregories it takes to change a light bulb. And we learn more about renewable energy. Well, welcome to episode four of What on Earth Can We Do? Uh, my name is Gregory Caswell, and I am the executive director of the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And I am Colleen Nook. I'm the executive producer at Hoopla Media. Episode four. Episode four. So, Colleen, we've been learning a lot about many different things over the previous three episodes. But I have to say, I'm pretty excited about today's episode because we're going to dive into a subject that I think as Albertans is constantly on our minds or not constantly, is on our our minds a lot, and that is energy and renewable energy itself. I'm not going to lie, this topic was a bit intimidating for me. I feel like I don't know much about renewable energy. It's something that's not tangible, and it's something that I can't see. So when I turn on my lights at home, I know I should turn them off when I leave a room, and I do that, but I don't know where it comes from, and Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's doing to the environment. So I'm very excited about learning more about this. Yeah, and I I would say that I probably have a better, uh, just based off of what you just said, I I would assume that I have a better understanding of renewable energy. But when I hear renewable energy, I think, oh, solar panels, wind, wind power, geothermal, great. But how do I apply that to my own personal life? And also, what is geothermal? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some guests on the show today who I, I'm excited will explain that to us. But yeah, I, I think where I'm really stuck as a, as a person is that I want to be doing more for uh, when it comes to green energy. Um, right now with my energy plan that I have, I purchase green energy that basically it off puts what I've used of the normal energy that's in the grid and uh, puts back green energy for what I've used. So that's one way that I I like to do it. But I I feel like there's always this sort of this, I don't know, pressure for my social circles that I should be putting uh, solar panels on my house. And that's just, it doesn't seem like it's something that I can financially do at this point. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't that be great? Mm -hmm. So Also, when you're talking about green energy, uh, my eyes just like went why I had no idea what you were even talking about and that's the problem oh I think that uh, great energy is interchangeable with renewable energy I think that we're just sort of calling them the same they're the same thing yeah cool okay so I did a little research on renewable energy so I'm starting to get to know a little bit more all right <laughs> here are the facts Renewable energy is derived from natural processes that are replenished at a rate that is equal or faster than the rate at which they are consumed. Renewable energy sources currently provide about 17% of Canada's total primary energy supply. And within that, wind and solar energy are the fastest growing sources of electricity in Canada. Canada is ranked seventh in the world in terms of renewable energy production, and around 13% of Alberta's electricity is produced from renewables. All right, so with us today is Andreas Filea from the Métis Nation of Alberta, Um, but you're also associated with the Indigenous Electricity Technical Working Group. So tell me a little bit about what you do with Métis Nation of Alberta, and maybe afterwards we'll talk about the group. Yeah, sure. So, as you say, my name is Andres Filea. I work for the Métis Nation of Alberta as Senior Manager of Environment. So, a lot of my work is around uh, looking for need, so identifying need in Métis communities, and then designing initiatives to meet those needs, you know, lining up funding, 
and then getting some stuff done. So a lot of the work that I've done is doing about 30, more or less 30 um, solar projects on rooftops, doing some energy efficiency work. We're doing a five megawatt solar farm close to Métis Crossing, which is really exciting. So we've done about two years there and policy work as well. So the indigenous electricity technical work was a little bit of that policy work. So what do you guys do (laughs) at the indigenous? Tell me all about it. Sure. So it's quite interesting. So the Indigenous Electricity Technical Working Group, I was, I'm going to say was because we actually haven't met since June of this year, was a, um, an advisory group that the government of Alberta at that time, so back in 2017, directed to be put together. And it was intended to be open to Indigenous communities and governments as a space for them to learn about uh, the renewable energy markets and opportunity and also brought in experts, it brought in departments, ministries, government officials, in an aim to increase indigenous participation in renewable energy projects. So we met on a bi-weekly basis, sometimes bi-weekly, sometimes maybe a month, for about two years. And we talked about like programs, policies, information, like a whole bunch of things. So it was, it was a, it's a really cool team. At some point, there were about 100 people participating, wow. uh, but there were, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was a consistent group going back and forth, yeah, for sure. How does, how, do you know how Alberta is measuring up in terms of renewable energy compared to the rest of Canada? Like, are we at the forefront or is there some work that needs to be done in this province? Yeah, I keep hearing that Alberta is a really great province for it because there's sunlight yeah. for, uh, that out of most places in the, in the world that there's the most sun, sunlight here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us about that. So Alberta is actually blessed not only with, you know, oil and gas energy, but the, we, we have here, and Saskatchewan, by the way, as well, has the best solar and a resource in, in all of Canada uh, and the best wind resource in all of Canada. So it's really kind of a nice complement uh, to the energy industry that we have here is that we, not only do we have the best, you know, oil and gas resource, we also have the best solar and, and wind. So that's the resource piece. Uh, but then you have to put the infrastructure to actually produce energy from those resources. So, so uh, in terms of that, I, I think Alberta is actually lagging behind on the electricity side, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until recently, about 50% of our electricity came from coal. Mm. And so the previous government, I, I don't know where the government right now sits on this, but they, they had... Um, you know, committed to replacing all the coal facilities by 2030 and replacing at least um, 30% of total energy with renewables that time. So I think we're lagging a little bit. One interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people know is actually Canada is leading, it's, it's one of the leaders in the world in renewable energy. About 60% of our electricity comes from hydro. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like, we tend to forget that we have an incredible renewable energy industry already. And um, I think, I mean, look at Enercan numbers here, like about 90% of the electricity sector. That doesn't take into account transportation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live mm-hmm. very sparsely mm-hmm. populated, so we have to do a lot of work there. It doesn't take into account heating, for example, so a lot of work there as well. But there's a lot of good things already happening. Yeah. So why is renewable energy important to the environment? What, what's the overall impact that we can see if we move towards mm-hmm. these? I think the biggest thing is not necessarily the environmental part. I think that's incredibly significant and it's extremely important that we do something regarding climate change. But I think we're at a disruptive stage right now where renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper and 
the world's kind of moving that way. Investors are kind of demanding that companies do renewable energy and are sustainable. So I think for me, it's more about like economics too. Like it is cheaper and it can provide jobs and investors are pouring their money there. So we should do it because otherwise we're going to be left behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. It's kind of like a win-win. Yeah. Something that you want to really look at is at this price, right? Like you, the government's guaranteeing this price for Albertans. They want to get it as low as we can. We got stuff like $37 per megawatt hour. For, like that is some of the cheapest electricity in the world. Right. Can you break that down a little bit for me? Yeah. So, you know, I, I just look at the my energy bill yeah. and it, I have no idea what it even means. The average Albertan, like it, it fluctuates like crazy. So back in the day in like 2015, it could be up to like 10 to 15 cents per kilowatt hour. Okay. And, and then more recently, it's been like five cents per kilowatt hour, right? Mm. The conversion is about, so 37 would be 3.7 cents per kilowatt hour. Can you imagine buying it for 3.7 cents per kilowatt hour for 20 years? That is what the government contracted. They got an insane deal for 20 years. Mm-hmm. There are forecasts out there that they, they just say like the price is going up. So they got an incredible deal for Albertans. Uh, they also... People that are developing this got an incredible deal because they got a guaranteed price for 20 years. You know, it's really difficult to go to the bank and say, oh, I want you to give me money so that I can build this. And I don't know how much money I'm going to get. But if I go to the bank and say, I know how much money I'm going to get for the next 20 years, the bank's really eager and happy to lend you money because you can guarantee returns. It makes them financeable. So it's kind of a win on the government side for Albertans because they're getting cheap energy. It's also a win for developers and it was also a win for indigenous communities because it required partnership with them, with Métis people and indigenous people. So when, when we chat about, and I think at a personal level, I believe this at a personal level, like it's, you know, there was, Alberta's been an energy province. We've done energy for, for, for decades, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's been an energy revolution before. And I think for many reasons, indigenous people were left out for most of that. I think this was a great opportunity to include them. Uh, this new energy revolution of inclusiveness with indigenous people, right? So that's something that I think was really great. And, you know, my hope is that work like that can continue because it can be competitive and it can you know, lead to these added benefits as well. Uh, what are some examples of projects that the group took on? So, so I think, I mean, just for a reference, the group, I, I don't think the group was looking at specific projects. I think the group was looking at mechanisms to incent or support those projects. Mm-hmm. So we looked at programs, for example, and policies. So the community generation program that came out of the government of Alberta, we we reviewed, uh, you know, what it would look like and what tweaks it would have to have so that it would be successful for indigenous communities, right? In terms of projects that are out there right now, uh, you know, the Métis Nation has one project that we're, that is out there. I know of another projects that were shared there. Uh, I think there's quite a few indigenous-led renewable energy projects in the pipeline that I don't know if I can share. <laughs> the, like a lot of the planning work has been done and it like there's a lot of momentum or there was a lot of momentum and my hope is that we can use that momentum knowing that it's a job creation uh, you know opportunity 
that we needed. We needed not only not only because of sustainability, but also because of economics. So, you know, there's there's a big opportunity there to kind of use and leverage some of that investment that has already been done. You know, there was one thing that I that I commonly get asked is, you know, why why are indigenous peoples interested in renewable energy? Like, what's what's the link there? Is it just the government telling us or whatever? To one thing that I that that I did early on, like when we started with the Métis Nation, it's like, well, well, let's go talk to our citizens. So we had a little initiative back in 2017, and we toured the province. I, we went there around 18 communities around Alberta, and, and we talked to about three to 400 people, and we asked them, you know, in regards to climate change, climate action, what's important to you? And I think one thing that I really learned was two things, like, well, actually three things. Care for the environment is, like a cornerstone of indigenous values and Métis values. Um, self-sustainability, food self-sustainability, economic self-sustainability, environmental self-sustainability, mm-hmm. and um, planning for future generations as well. So when we learn that, it's like, well, you know what? Renewable energy, f- as an example, can give you economic self-sustainability. It can also give you environmental sustainability, and it aligns with care for the environment environment and planning for future generations. So it's, it was like a really nice match. So there are very little, I, I can think of very little kind of initiatives where, you know, they align so beautifully with indigenous values. So that, I think that is something that when we, when I learned that, I, I know we, we really say, okay, we really have to do this, right? This is a, this is a, a big initiative for me personally. And also I think for uh, my organization and my government, I think we should, you know, I'm recommending this to be done. So for those people out there who are getting excited hearing you talk about these things, um, what can everyday people like Colleen and myself and our mm-hmm. listeners do mm-hmm. to be part of the renewable energy movement? Yeah, it's a good question. We've talked a lot about policy and this high-level process and programs and government mm-hmm. stuff, right? So it's like making sure that the people that have the capacity and the ability to make this major change, this like 300 megawatt changes, are doing that so that when you do switch your light switch on or, you, you know, you, you, you turn whatever on, your appliances on at home, that the other side looks renewable, right? And that's a lot harder to do at an individual level. It requires that you see and vote, right? Like look at what, what where your party stands. It's, it's, it's perhaps a little bit more political because it does require direction from government. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. That's good, get out there and vote. Yeah. yeah, so I guess, yeah, put solar panels or get some green energy from a retailer, vote. <laughs> <laughs> Those are three really, really good things and I, I think doable for everyone. Thanks, yeah. that was fascinating, yeah. that was really good. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> yeah. So we just finished talking with Andreas, and he uh, left us with the idea that we should actually be educating ourselves. I'm very excited to introduce our next guest because that's actually what his whole purpose in life is to do, I'm assuming, (laughs) is to educate people on renewable energy. So Mm -hmm. please welcome to the show uh, David Dodge from Green Energy Futures. Hi, I'm so happy to be here, I must say. Well, thank you. Why don't I let you tell our listeners what Green Energy Futures is about, and then I'll tell them why it's so important that you're here. 
Well, uh, Green Energy Futures is, uh, it's essentially a journey I've been on for seven years. And I set out on this journey because uh, I was looking at the media about seven years ago. And, and what I was seeing uh, in terms of coverage of clean technologies and green energy and that sort of thing, I found appalling. It was uninformed, unknowledgeable. And I realized, you know, I've been working on climate change for as long as 20 years. Uh, and I realized that these things are going to start to be very, uh, uh, very high levels of interest very quickly. And somebody needs to go out there and start reporting on this stuff that actually works. And so uh, I put a vision together of what the perfect job for me would be seven years ago. And that would be to travel across the country and interview the most inspiring people doing the most inspiring projects in the clean technology sector that I could possibly find. Now, usually when you do something like that, uh, it just makes you feel good. And uh, and then you go out and find a real job after you do that <laughs> vision thing. But I wrote that vision up. It was about five pages. And lo and behold, I took it to uh, the Suncor Foundation. And they loved it, much to my surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, they helped me bring on other sponsors like Shell and TD Bank. Uh, and uh, I spent about $1.3 million of their money traveling across the country, producing now uh, 236 documentaries. So that funding has expired. But I've been able to cover everything from tidal energy in Nova Scotia uh, to the Souk uh, 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 First Nation on Vancouver Island that is doing, uh, they're doing net zero buildings and solar training. So and everything in between, and you said two hundred thirty-six episodes. That's amazing. That's a that's a lot of work and a lot of information for for people to to come across and to learn from. Where can somebody find? Green so this Futures? series is produced at Green. Uh, it, our web channel is GreenEnergyFutures.ca, but we also publish to a number of other channels. We have our own YouTube channel, which, which does fairly well, uh, and our series is broadcast on the CKUA radio network in Alberta. So uh, our features run about three times a week uh, across Alberta on CKUA radio, which is really cool. So, tell us, what sort of trends are you seeing in renewable energy? Well, uh, renewable energy is taking off. So it's really funny because when I started the series, solar was so poorly understood. I remember going to a conference here in Alberta, and uh, I think it was the, uh, the grid operator was doing a presentation about the future of the electricity grid. And uh, in their projections for the future, there was this much solar, and I'm making the signal of zero. <laughs> and so there was going to be no solar in Alberta's future. And that was seven or eight years ago, if you can believe it. Uh, and even then, solar was still quite expensive. Uh, and my gosh, how much has changed. Like, people have no idea how fast things are changing. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time covering uh, sources of energy. So you know, solar, geothermal, biogas, biomass, those kinds of things. But I've also realized that the way we get our energy is going to affect uh, everything else in our lives from how we get around and the buildings we live in. And so I've become quite enamored with uh, super energy efficient buildings, net zero buildings, that sort of thing. And there's been incredible changes in that space. In fact, it's changing so fast. Even people in the industry have trouble keeping up. And I'll just leave you with one really high level statistic that underlines this. Bloomberg's 2019 energy outlook for the world suggests that uh, there will be about $13.3 trillion of investment in power generation by 2015 throughout the world. Shockingly, perhaps, or su pleasantly surprisingly, <laughs> uh, about 77% of that is going to be renewable energy. Wow. So mostly solar and wind, but also other sources of renewable energy. And that's by 2050? By 2050. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
a lot of our listeners are people who are new to renewable energy. Some might not even know what renewable energy is. We touched on wind, solar, um, hydro. What are some other examples that people might not be thinking of? There are so many examples. So there's tidal. Uh, the Bay of Fundy is one of the most interesting places in Canada for that. Uh, there's biogas and biomass, which, by the way, are two really important sources that we haven't even begun to look into in Alberta, which Alberta also has a huge potential in. Uh, and Alberta, as you may have learned, uh, has the very best wind and solar energy resource in all of Canada. As it turns out, we're not only blessed with fossil fuels, we also have the best renewable energy resource in the company in the country. But there are many other sources as well, and it depends on how you look at it. So geothermal is something that I think is going to play a huge role, much bigger than anybody anticipated, uh, just because it's so efficient. It was very popular years ago when uh, natural gas prices spiked, uh, but I predict it'll come back in a very big way as we try to make uh, buildings more efficient. So what does geothermal look like? It's really boring, actually. <laughs> uh, so it's funny, geothermal, what most people call geothermal is actually geoexchange. So um, geoexchange and geothermal are close relatives. Geothermal is typically uh, deep wells that harvest high temperatures out of the earth, so over 100 degrees Celsius. There's absolutely none of this in Canada. There isn't a single project in all of Canada. Uh, but geothermal, in the family of geothermal, there's also something called geoexchange, which is simply harvesting the ambient temperature of the earth mm. uh, just below the surface. So anywhere between four and seven degrees Celsius. And so we have buildings here in Edmonton, for example, there's a net zero church and a social housing project in Westmount that has uh, loops under the ground, not very deep under the ground, maybe 50 meters under the ground. Uh, and they're harvesting the ambient temperature of the earth. And then they use heat pumps to up upgrade that heat from the 4 to 7 degrees to the 20 degrees we need to have our, heat our houses. The really cool thing is when they upgrade that heat, those heat pumps are about 400% efficient. Mm. So, you know, when you go shopping for your new furnace, you go, well, I have an, 80, an old 80% efficient furnace. Woo, I got 97% now. That's what I have in yeah. my house. <laughs> but when you go to heat pumps, you're talking orders of magnitude. It's 400% efficient. And when heat pumps are used for cooling, they're up to seven or eight hundred percent efficient. So uh, that's the kind of change we're talking about. So for an everyday person like myself, uh, who I mean, I hear I should be putting solar panels on my house. I should be uh, converting to geothermal, uh, but I'm just not at a place financially that I can do that. What are some things that I could be doing? You can get involved in this stuff on a range of scales. So this is a really interesting question, and this goes back to an age-old question of who's responsible and how can we tackle this issue that we don't often talk about, which is climate change. That's the root of all this stuff. Uh, and, you know, it's really interesting. So you can do a lot of things, and even if you do the little things, it's really important. So I, I did a story on a guy from St. Albert. His name was Ron Kube. Uh, and he's an average guy, a professor, who decided he would get all crazy about saving energy in his house. So he bought these meters at Canadian Tire, and he measured everything, his microwave, his washing machines, his lights, everything in the house to see where he was using his energy. And in 2016 or 15 or 17, whatever year it was he did this, he was shocked to discover his lighting was the worst energy uh, use in his house because he still had old incandescent light bulbs. Here's a guy, university educated, still using uh, incandescent light bulbs, which are almost 10 times less efficient as a LED light bulb. Uh, and he solved the problem in his house of energy use for literally hundreds of dollars. Mm. 
and uh, he's going to save that back in no time. Yep. So you can get involved at a small level like that, uh, or you can get involved at, at a much higher level. If you buy solar today on your home, it's still going to be cheaper than the grid price. It's just the term you have to amortize that over. It's quite long-term investment. So mm -hmm. solar modules are guaranteed for 25 years. Maybe there's a 15, 16, 17-year payback. You still get free energy for 10 years of that contract. Uh, it's just a long-term view. So there's something that may be coming in the near future uh, that could help us with this, though, and it's called Property Assessed Clean Energy Financing. And what that'll allow you to do is to borrow long-term money to do, to do energy efficiency in your home or put solar on the roof. And what it does is it amortizes the benefit Let's say solar is 25 years of benefit. It amortizes your payments over the benefit period. So you pay, let's for the sake of argument, 125th of your solar system every year starting in year one. That means you're actually saving money starting in year one. And there's literally no reason why you wouldn't do that. Mm. I think you're going to see a lot more of that in the very near future. Yeah, it seems like the, uh, a theme that's really coming up that this isn't only just an environmental issue. It's an economic issue as well. So. It's, it's interesting. The big so we've, we're learning how to build a super efficient uh, home, and Edmonton is actually, ironically, in the oil capital of Canada, we're leaders at building the very best, most energy efficient net zero homes in Canada. We're the best at that right here in Edmonton, Alberta, without you ask anybody in the business and you'll hear that. So what yeah. do we do with all these old buildings? Yeah. Well, it's very expensive to renovate old buildings. In fact, I, I did a story on a guy from Calgary who's trying to start a business for renovating homes to net zero. And that can cost you in the neighborhood of $100,000, which, as you said before, it's really hard coming up with the money to do these, even these minor retrofits, let alone a major retrofit. Well, in, in uh, the Netherlands, they've realized that their old stock of buildings, it's even much worse than it is here in terms of efficiency, but they're more consistent. They're more of a townhome style of home, most of the homes there. And what they've done is industrialize the process of renovating those homes to make them energy efficient. They also live in a place where utility rates are much higher than they are here. Mm -hmm. And so there's more incentive for them to do this. And their national goal in the Netherlands now is to make every single building in the country net zero by 2050. And so uh, that means about 100,000, 80,000, actually I've heard they've reduced that number somewhat, uh, they're going to renovate 2 million buildings. Think about that in terms of jobs, and if those, each of those jobs is worth, say, $100,000, that's a lot of economic activity mm -hmm. in the future. And think about the expertise you might need to do those jobs. Uh, that's the future, and you're going to see a lot of that, both in new buildings and old buildings. If you were to say maybe your top, maybe not even top, but three things that your average Joe could take away. I have a weird message for you. And that is your individual action is not going to fix this. You need to educate yourself. So you need to do the little things to learn about why this stuff's important and to learn what you can do. And there are many small things you can do. Those are still important. I'm not saying they're not important. But if we're going to fix this and we're going to evolve to a low carbon economy, it's going to take a societal effort. It's going to take a collective effort. We all have to do some things. And maybe that means living in a more efficient building or driving more efficient cars or having a grid that's green. So we have to mix this with a societal ambition of uh, doing things that are really smart and strategic for a new future. And so when you see actions such as the federal government stuff that they're doing, or you see efforts to green grids, uh, we need to mix, we need to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. Some individual action, but you walking to work is not going to stop climate change. So maybe on an individual level, that sort of 
um, commitment that one person could make would be that chain reaction. So talking to people around you to at least start making this, getting more people on board that this is an important step to take. Absolutely. That's your, you've now tapped into it. So we need to support collective actions as well. And some collective actions will help all of us be more efficient. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us don't care enough or, or don't have the time to figure out those things or don't even care about those things. And so it really makes sense to, to help everybody do that as well at the same time. And that's the way we'll get the big benefits in the long run. Go spend some time at greenenergyfutures.ca. I really did uh, um, set out to find the most inspiring examples. And and the one consistent piece of feedback I get from all over the world, from the series that I've done, uh, is that they cannot believe how positive some of these things are and how hard people are working on some really amazing ideas and amazing solutions all over Canada and, in fact, all over the world. Well, thank you for joining us, David. Happy to be here. Okay. Do you... Gregory, do you have your takeaways? Uh, You know what? I I have a few takeaways from today's conversations. One theme that really stood out for me that I I don't know. I feel like we need a whole new section on this show of like mind-blowing realizations. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And maybe we will in season two. Uh, But the theme that really stood out for me today is that the issue around renewable energy is it's not only an environmental impact that this move can have, but also an economic impact. And that's really interesting, uh, an interesting way to look at it. I, and it also ties back into that whole reduce, reuse, recycle thing where if we're reducing what we're what we're using and we're relying more on re- on renewables, therefore reducing carbon emissions, that's where we can have a huge impact for the environment. It also is really encouraging knowing that this is a sort of a, a win-win topic. A mm-hmm. bit. There's a lot of investment that's going into renewable energy and it just seems like this is going to happen. It's going to happen. So I find that comforting. Yeah, I, I feel like also what I'm taking away is that it doesn't necessarily have to impact the way that we live. It's just how it will impact how we do it, if that makes sense. Like our, uh, we can still enjoy electricity and things that are powered, but the, the source of that energy will be coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Exactly. So that's encouraging. Okay. So now, what are your takeaways? What are you going to so do? So what am I going to do? What on earth am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like I'm already doing a few of these things I'm in my world. I vote. Um, I have my green energy plan. I have LED lights in my house. We're very conscious in my house to, to turn things off when we're leaving rooms and that sort of thing. So I feel like my energy management is good. But I really wanted to challenge myself, and I don't know if I'll be able to do this by the end of this season, but to take a look in my own personal life to figure out where I can be taking or saving money to uh, upgrade my home to be more renewable. I have some learning to do. So I'm going to just make sure that I understand how renewable energy works. So it's been great getting this high level information today. I think I'm going to dive a little deeper. And then the second thing is I want to see the small things we can do in our house. So I actually don't know if we have LED lights. We might, but we might not. We moved this past summer and have just been using the light bulbs that are in the place. So yeah, I'm going to, if they're not LED, I will switch to LED lights. 
The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is presented by the Alberta Emerald Foundation and features Emerald Awards recipients. Learn more about our guests' inspiring work through the Emerald documentary series, available on our website, emeraldfoundation.ca. And if you enjoyed What on Earth Can We Do, please make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with us on Instagram and Twitter at whatonearth underscore pod. Know an Albertan eco-hero who is raising the bar in environmental excellence? Nominate them for an Emerald Award. Nominations are open annually from November 1st until mid-February on our website. We would like to thank the Edmonton Community Foundation for their support in bringing this podcast to life. We would also like to thank our Emerald Award sponsors, ABCRC, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, City of Calgary, City of Edmonton, Government of Alberta, and Syncrude Canada Limited for their ongoing support. Next time on What on Earth Can We Do? We got on board with the youth movement.